I'm Philip Mortlock and I'm a good friend of those lovely boys in excess and I'm here with you on Access All Areas. Access All Areas, episode 69B, okay? Okay. Philip Mortlock, part two. The podcast that aims to bring everybody into the Rock Hall of Fame quest to get the band going, get everything happening for this iconic uh, band of brothers. Uh, I can't wait to listen to Philip again today. Philip, 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 how good was last week, uh, B? I had my emails pinging all the time. We have fans and they say, that was the best episode you've done every week. It's like, but this one, they really, really said they love, love, love Philip. What a true gentleman. He was just so calm and thoughtful the way he was talking. It's great. It was great editing to re-listen to him again. Yeah. Well, Philip, again, he won't mind me saying this, but he's a couple of years older than you and I. Um, but he always reminds me of those uh, people I met when I was a little bit younger, uh, a real gentleman, a real professional, uh, well-spoken, articulate, measured mm. guy who's who's been a winner at a lot of things he's done, but no ego, you know? Yes, um, yeah. And uh, you can just sort of see that, that how he's gone about his career and, and how he's been able to, I guess, involve himself and everything from the ARIA boards, you know, through to the origin company he's working with and set up with his colleague, Philip, and, um, and just the you know mixing with all the bands in the Australian sort of landscape, um, you could just see why he he was in such a demand uh, service. Yeah, he seems such a grown up, doesn't he? Such a grown up <laughs> yes. man. And yes. I had a couple of girls did ask me, um, what's, what's he look like? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, <lovely>. ladies. <laughs> well, you know, you can dive deep and Google him and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, no, he was great. And I think one of the things that seemed to come across from everybody, which, I mean, again, we, we thought the same thing was the fact that he'd already had the initiative to email certain uh, people overseas and make inquiries and start getting a, a domino or two pushed along for the band induction was, mm. was, was, was just was just heartwarming, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's been really interesting week on that front, hasn't it? Yes. Well, we're going to get the second sort of part of that out today and we hope, uh, yeah. like we promised, the sequel is as good as the original. So mm-hmm. uh, we will get to that in the topic part. But uh, I guess, uh, B, we, we've skipped something which we always have to ask you. How's your in excess week been? I believe you've got stickers and magnets to show us. Is that right? <laughs> just arrived. Yes, I've just done a little video for the patrons and then I've just put the one on my car, a bumper, and you yep. said you didn't like it. Hayden, explain uh, yourself. I didn't say like it. I yeah, think I was did. saying... Yeah, where's... you did. <laughs> you know me, I don't like to be front and centre. That's your job. <laughs> Well, end. <laughs> That's all right. I was looking for the induct part, but it was it was down in the little part of the yeah. bottom. But anyway, no, yeah, they I've do look it. very good. And I know you've yeah. got a lot of effort to put them put them together. And we do know things like this do help create a, a momentum. Uh, we got little magnets for your fridge and stuff like that. So uh, I know you love the little trinkets and things. I reckon you I reckon you'd love Christmas Eve, whatever, putting the tree up and everything, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I'd still actually I- <laughs> still. 
<laughs> Halloween's my favorite. Halloween. I like scaring people. Yeah, I love scaring oh, right. the kids, especially the teenagers when they come around for their loot. Yeah. I, I actually come at them with a knife usually. Well, I thought so, that was Nickelback's job uh, yeah. to scare everybody. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, last week we did also, before uh, we do go ahead, um, uh, we did put actually a song, a couple of songs on the end. We had Kiss the Dirt and then uh, I know this week you posted some of the artwork of what uh, Philip put together for the Burn For You single, which was great, you know, um, all of those beautiful colours and imageries and things. And we also put on the song. I have to give um, Laurie credit for that, not me. Oh, okay. Yep. Yes. Thank you, Laurie. And we put on the uh, song Speed Kills, which I hadn't heard for about five years. Mm. And, uh, it's like a, a two songs in one. It's got this sort of yeah. real country twang sort of Nick Kay thing going. Then it rocks up at the end. Um, I know a lot of people are like, wow, is that Michael? Is that really Michael? And go, yeah, it was. He's only 21. Um, yeah, uh, we put that on as an ode to Philip. Uh, but again, B, I haven't really uh, given you a chance to answer. How's your excess week been? Um, well, I did allude to you earlier that I've been talking to a few of our friends about um, getting an episode together. So that's been quite exciting. And um, hearing you being to something that's very similar, I'm talking in code here, aren't I? But mm. listeners, we've got some good things happening, especially in the next four weeks. Oh my God. Yeah, well, we got, right as we exit today, I did sort of say in our blurb, that uh, we've got a couple of little announcements we're going to yes. be uh, sharing with you. So uh, stay tuned for the rest of the podcast. Mm-hmm. We will slip those in at any time. Yeah. And what else have, uh, has taken your focus this week, B? What else? Oh, yeah. T-shirts have arrived as well. It's all about yeah. the merch this week. Yeah. Um, what else has taken my focus in excess, guys? Yeah, I've just been busy getting the awards ready as well. Right. That's been exciting. Yeah. Um, going back through all our old episodes, there's, we've got so much out there. Well, there are some awards in Australia for podcasts and things like that, and uh, they do seem to, uh, I guess, tie into a few of the categories we may be eligible for. So we do mm. know very kindly some listeners have said, oh, that episode would be a good one to submit or that one would be good to submit. So we do thank uh, those uh, uh, nominations for, for submissions, and we'll see how we go. Um, I guess like everything, B, we do have patrons, and I know this particular week uh, uh, we do have a new one there, which is yeah. a very sort of uh, Shakespearean name, uh, uh, a person called Bard. Is that right? Bard, yes, from Norway. B-A-R-D, Bard. Bard. But yeah. he's 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 been around a while. He has, he's he's actually um, won a few auction prizes from us, and we've got a little bit of a nice relationship uh-huh. going. And um, yeah, he's he loves collecting stuff. And then he yeah, right. I woke up one morning and he was a patron. It was lovely. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, do we have any others, or should we welcome all the existings? Oh, here we go. Wait for this. This list just gets bigger. <laughs> I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside, to about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello to our honorary patrons, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Cameron Adams, and Mary Woods. Here I go. Okay, this is getting bigger and bigger every week. Hello to Sue D, Joe Robbins, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie Ann, Danielle, Sarah Markram, Dr. Jim, Katie, Felicia, Lisa Mack, Anne Marie, Susan P. Foxy, Lisa Urban, Pedro, Mandy, Lisa Calloway, Matt, Linda, Vern, Paul Boozy, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H, Leon, David, Tracy, Paul Jolie, Sandrine, Warren, Sarah Camia, Susan B, 
Amanda V, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Stefan, Val, Jim, Matey, Kelly, John, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Virginia, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Glenn, Laurel, and finally, we get to Bard from Norway. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the party. As we said last week, I don't think it's been, uh, I guess, ever a better time to be a patron with uh, access to uh, interviews, access to Zoom calls, uh, access to competitions, auctions, prizes, uh, even questions for band members, hint, hint, uh, and uh, all of the, uh, I guess, accompanying journey about uh, moving, I guess, part of a group uh, pushing the Hall of Fame bandwagon. Uh, so, you know, we, we love the patron sort of group and also all the, the chats within the community and all of the uh, the uh, accoutrements that come with it, B. So uh, I guess if you uh, have $5, 10 15 up to $30 a month to spend, we'd like to think we can give you enough entertainment to justify, uh, but also know what you're doing is having a, a material effect on helping this band uh, get recognised and, uh, and, and, and just reminded out there into the wider community. You know, you asked me what else I've been doing. I actually made the uh, the room for everybody on the website. So if you're a patron and you're on different platforms and not just on Facebook, we can all talk together now and it's working great. So um, I'm looking forward to everybody becoming a nice little community in this little space that we've got on the website. So you have to log in onto that. But in order to do that, you need to, first of all, become a member of the website. So be a subscriber. All right. We jumped ahead earlier with our uh, hint at the top of this week, so we don't need to reiterate. So uh, what's the time for, B? It's time for the news. Hi, it's Dave from England, and you're listening to In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the news. All right, B. Well, we always start off with the uh, the charts, etc. There, and uh, I will slightly digress. Uh, in the '80s in Australia, we had this drink that was called a Clayton's, and it was like called an, uh, a Clayton's for uh, I guess the reasons that it, I don't know. It had no alcohol in it. Now, I know you're just drinking on some alcohol as I tell you that. <laughs> no, I'm not. What were you drinking? Water. Oh, uh, yeah. A little bit of vodka and extra double, triple <laughs> vodka. Um, but we had a drink in the 80s called a Clayton's, and it was like they called the ad spiel was the drink you have when you're not having a drink because um, it was non-alcoholic. Um, needless to say, in Australia, a non-alcoholic beverage uh, didn't go down too well, and we never heard much after that. But a bit like a charts this week, not a lot happened. Uh, we huh. were 35 last week and we're 35 this week, the very best of. So we've broken even, I guess, at least. Well, it still so, means people are buying it. Correct, correct. Mm. Um, I do know in further developments, you did post, I think, a, a Need You Tonight article. I think it was in sort of one of the smash uh, publications, et cetera, there, uh, that uh, I think you might have posted up on one of our platforms with Andrew talking about Need You Tonight and the song oh, hitting number one and yeah. stuff like that. So 
Uh, if you are a patron or got access to some of our platforms, you may have seen that article, but you mm-hmm. can Google it. I think yep. it was a Need You Tonight number one Andrew discussion. Yeah. Um, that was with what, the professor. Is that one? Maybe. I've got PPPP after. So professor, it could be the professor. Yeah, the professor rock. Yeah. Rock. And talking about med- mediate at the end. Yeah. Mm, it's good. Um, also, too, uh, a lot of gig news. Uh, John Stevens, who we've spoken a little bit about, uh, we are hoping here in Melbourne, October 8th, he will be uh, playing in Melbourne with uh, Boom Crash Opera, et cetera. Uh, I do know he's got a couple of Tassie gigs, one that's going to be uh, on November 14th, uh, now in Hobart. I think that was moved from September. Uh, I think that's at the Odeon in uh, Hobart. So if you are in Tassie, do yourself a favour. Uh, I do know also that uh, John's just moved a concert uh, over in his homeland in New Zealand to Hawke's Bay. Now, for those that don't know Hawke's Bay, it's around sort of the Napier Hastings area, a beautiful part of the world. And uh, they've got a new venue for one of his gigs over there. So that's March the 4th now. Mention about in excessive breaking up, I did do a bit of a Google search and yeah. I couldn't find anything. So oh. I don't know what you heard or saw, but because I've got down here in excessive in Melbourne, Sorry, hang on, let me get this right. In excessive in Tassie, they're trumping, they're doing a Media Wars trumping, they're getting in before John Stevens, <laughs> and they're doing an October 22nd gig in North Hobart, um, some three weeks before John's down there. Yeah. Um, so they're doing that. And then in Mar- on March the 8th, uh, here in Melbourne, uh, uh, Australia, at the Burvale Hotel on March the 8th, they're doing a gig. Now, just a little side note for you. I know in England you had a show over there that was based and made in Australia called Cell Block H yes. or Prisoner. Yes. We used to call it Prisoner. I think you called it Cell Block H. Is that we right? We did, yes. He used to give me roses. I wish he could again. But that was on the outside. And things were different then. Well, I can tell you for a fact, in the early 80s when that show was being made, the Burvale Hotel was the the uh, hotel across the road from the studio of uh, Wentworth yeah. where they do a lot of the uh, sort of the pub meal sort of gigs between prison officers. <laughs> so I thought I'd just add that in for those who are curious. Yeah, yes, very good. The show has been renamed Wentworth in a new adaptation now that's on all the streaming channels and things around the world. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, the Burvale Hotel is going to be host of In Excessive on March the 8th. So... Whether it's uh, another incarnation of, of Inaccessive, we know there's two in Australia. Yes. One's, bro- one's broken up and one's around. We don't know. We'll, mm. we'll, we'll, we'll we put that to out know. to the audience. Mm. Also, too, uh, over in America, uh, Kick, the Inaccess tribute band, they're back at Daryl Hall's place or Daryl's place Darryl's doing place. another gig, uh, mm. which has been a, a bevy of talent gone through uh, the man from Hall of Notes, his uh, big farmhouse up in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, January 21st, they're back there again, which uh, might also be close to 12 months to the day they were there last year. I'm sure they'll, they'll around there. I think they go uh, there quite often. Yeah. They seem to be there yeah, a lot. So they're back there. Mm-hmm. Also, a little bit of news as well. A very famous theatre, amphitheatre up in Cairns, Australia, up in the north there, the Corunda Amphitheatre, it's actually been struggling uh, to keep itself open in these uh, sort of COVID times. It's um, when In Excess uh, would uh, launch a new tour on the back of a new album around Listen Like Thieves, Kick and X particularly, they would play their first ever concert of that new material uh, in Coranda, 
which is sort of up in the, I think, the Tablelands area of uh, past Cairns and northern Queensland. Uh, and it's a really innocuous sort of stage and a big amphitheatre with grass and trees around it. And it's it's nothing super special, but it takes about 60 grand a year to just mow the lawns and keep it upgraded. But because there's been no gigs there the last 18 months to two years, they're just struggling for funds. So I think there are some pages to support that. And look, I know they've had people like Midnight All play there and a whole bunch of Australian yeah. acts and overseas acts. So, you know, it's all that sort of same theme B about live music sort of keeping mm. not only the bands alive, but the venues alive. Exactly. Yeah. And the staff. Yeah. yeah. Also, too, you called a, uh, I think, uh, or part of a snap induct in excess meeting last Sunday at 10 a.m., which I couldn't make. Uh, I know, myself. mate. I got, I got it wrong. It's this Sunday. Oh, it's this Sunday. <laughs> I was about to ask you what happened. I wasn't on the call, and sorry, and I couldn't make it. I, I didn't make, I didn't make it. That the induct team asked me to go and do it, and I was like, yeah, leave Hayden. Sunday morning's not going to work for, <laughs> for us for a dad. Can I make um, it eleven this week? I'm happy oh, to no. jump on. Yeah, yeah, let's if do. Do it 11. I mean, you know, 10's a bit of a tough gig uh, in this COVID. It's not like we're getting enough sleep at the moment, is it? Hey, I had to do a 7 o'clock, don't forget. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That was a killer with Nick Egan the other day. Oh, Um, and last bit of news, you know, like always, you know, not so much NXS related, but we always like the Valet or Farewell, you know, people in the entertainment industry have made a great contribution. And I know for some of our American listeners particularly and some of the Saturday Night Live fans who, who listen to our podcast, uh, a famous comedian on their show called Norm MacDonald uh, passed away. I think he had cancer and had that battled that over the last decade passed away overnight at only 61 and he was a really you know funny guy in that show was probably part of one of the the eras where you know that show itself was a real sort of cultural um you know occurrence amongst uh its watches and things um i always remember him you know quite funnily doing a great david letterman impersonation (laughs) he just he just picked up on dave's mannerisms and words and things like that you could google it and you would probably find it quite funny but um, 61B, a little bit too soon, isn't it? Very, yeah. Yeah. So, valet to Norm and valet thoughts out there Norm. with all the fans of him. Mm-hmm. But that's the news. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also, want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. This is Ella from Middleburg, the Netherlands. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and Dee. And now it's time for the topic of the week.
much to do with the dance one uh, or just Decca Dance? Yeah, well, there were two Decca Dances. There was yeah. the um, there was the cassette release that we did in Australia, and then there was the the twelve inch remix Decca Dance that was done in the US. Yeah, there's the Atco one, I think, with the uh, four tracks from uh, Shabu Shabar, a couple of remixes, and then we had the six little sort of uh, I guess cassette singles, weren't they, with the uh, each band member there? Yes, they were two very different kinds of product but with the same name so that was you know that was chris again you know he he thought of the name and uh, and so f- in the us they did the the decadence and you know it was clever of of him to push for that because this was at the same time as 12 inch singles were a big thing particularly in the the us dance scene and he just thought well you know NXS have produced a couple of pretty pretty cool dancey sort of songs let's put them out there as a 12 inch mm. dance release and see sorry philip i uh i just had this one out sitting in my living room for about six months because of my kids i'm trying to explain what a tape is <laughs> <laughs> so uh i've got it up here there which you can there probably can see uh i think i actually got the album version etc there as well but so yeah. what are the track what's what are the songs on it yeah they had um side one being a tape uh, black and white extended version to look at you extended version Side two, the one thing, uh, extended version. And then here comes two, a new version. Yeah. So that were the four tracks from the Shabu Shabar remix. But then, as you pointed out, obviously it led to the same thing with the swing, which was which is a real cult collector's item, those six uh, capsules of the imagery of each uh, band member, you know, in the little Yeah, so part. what's that one? Yeah. That's that's Decadance, the, that's the, uh, the swing version with the songs on them. Do you want to read out the songs on there, Boo? Yes. Um, original sin, I send a message, burn for you, dancing on the jetty, love is what I say, melting in the sun, and a bonus Jackson. Jackson, track. yeah. So that was just a sort of, I guess, a, a continuation of uh, a, an extra sort of uh, release. Well, yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a little bit a bit behind the scenes for that one. So, yeah. so for the the US one, as I say, you know, as a result of lack of success that Shabu Shabar had had in the US to sort of think of a, a between album sort of um, how do we, you know, keep the momentum going kind of thing. Yep. Chris pushed for Atlantic to release a 12-inch vinyl and cassette uh, release of dance songs or songs that you could dance to by an excess from Shabu Shabar to see if you could, you know, service that to, to the dance charts and the, and the dance DJs and so forth and try and get, get them you know it was just mm. an, another another attempt to sort of try and get a foothold in the US market mm. um, this was at the same time as the band were getting heavily into into that that kind of stuff which which yes. became evident you know original sin is a classic example and in fact you know <laughs> I can remember because Niall Rogers put out you know he was from the band chic but he mm. put out a solo album called the land of the good groove which did nothing anywhere. Mm. But I remember me and the band were obsessed about that record. We all yes. knew every song and, you know, it was played in the tour buses and the whole thing. Yes. Uh, so for them to end up in the studio with Nile um, was a dream, you know, mm-hmm. and it was an afterthought to the swing. It was after they'd finished recording the whole album with Nick Launay, then they got that opportunity to work with Nick, with uh, with Nile Rogers, and it was just too good an opportunity and the results speak for themselves and it became the first single. 
Yeah, uh, I, look, Tim, Tim was uh, very effusive about his love for Niall and that particular take. We've only actually spoken to one of the band members and Tim was very uh, endorsing of just exactly what you said, which is great, you know. And I think, look, I think with Shabu Shabar, they did get a bit of a foothold in the States. I think they went, I think they sold about half a million copies, but um, it really was on the back end of some relentless touring. And I guess it's interesting that this sort of uh, remix album then that lent to then Niall Rogers that then lent mm. to, you know, this swing success. But um, I think the swing had such a longevity in the Australian charts. It was in the top 40 for two years. Yeah, no, I think, I think, yeah, I think Australia, France, and maybe one or two other European territories were, and, and Canada. Yes. Um, where they cottoned onto in excess before the US. I mean, we're talking in, you know, in incremental stages. Yeah. You know, yes. Yeah. I'm not suggesting. Were you at the Countdown Awards when uh, Michael and Jenny got up and sung Jackson? Were you there yeah. that night? So this is what I was leading to. Decadence, yeah. <laughs> Decadence number two was uh, an idea that we had after we'd had all the success that we'd had with uh, with the swing. And Jenny had been on tour with uh, with cultures, uh, sorry, with in excess um, mm. all over the place. Um, and they had gone into the studio and recorded Jackson. So Chris and I got together and had a bit of a bit of a brainstorm, and we came up with this idea of pulling all of the remixes that had been done off off the swing together with the the recording of Jackson um, to put out just in time for when the, they would go on onto the countdown awards and and, uh-huh. and perform. And instead of instead of performing a song off the album that came out a year ago, let's perform this song. And and you know, countdown weren't necessarily oh you know can't they do you know like the big hit single off the album no 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 we've got this this (laughs) always going forward (laughs) lay the sucker with the task of putting together the, the Decadence project and, and, and we decided that we would do it as a cassette. I mean, you know, cassettes were a big thing in the, yeah. In the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Walkmans were in their absolute well, that's prime. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, uh, so we came up with the idea of, of, the, uh, of the, the cassette package that you've got there uh, and I did some investigation and found that our printers uh, could do the, the flip top box like a, like a cigarette packet. Yeah, it's mm. cool. Um, so that it was different to every other cassette package on the market, um, and then I just basically took the photograph that we that we referred to before, uh, that was used on the front of the swing, blew it up even bigger than what it was on the on the album cover, versions of the uh, the cassette package out of that that image, with the uh, with the writing over each one. So that's why there are six different versions of of the Decadence cassette. Um, I could do a show and tell, but I'm not at my studio. But uh, but I actually have an original counter box oh, with really? the, all of the the decadence um, cassettes in them, because that's how we did it. We sold them in boxes of twenty to retailers, and they put them on their counters and sold them uh, out of these these boxes. And it was a limited edition, cool. so it was only intended to be for like you know 
a limited edition, but it was so popular that we ended up making 100,000 copies of it. Well, well, I'd love you to do that for us one day. If you ever get time, we can do a little video of you doing a show and tell. Would you do that for us? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I I am a hoarder, so I have managed to keep (laughs) most of So I've got, you know, bits. I think I sent you a couple of things, you know, like. You did, yeah, the swing. Mm. Um, so yes, I've got lots of stuff um, stashed away at my studio, and um, and yeah, and I'm still sort of scratching my head and think, what am I going to do with all this? people have got this vision of um, getting in excess into the Rock Hall of Fame. My biggest vision is to actually open up some sort of museum type um, place for them. I I loved um, Chris's vision of the museum, the X museum that he was going to open up in um, Ballina. But I think there'll probably be a downscale version more towards Sydney and getting that um, that collection together and getting it out. People want to see it. We've, we've come to the, the idea now that people have had their families, people are empty nesting a little bit and they're like coming back to what it was, what was their love. And they're finding back the, the music that they listen to. And we've rekindled a lot of that, haven't we, Hayden? And, and people are starting to collect again and wanting to know more and buy the, the records again. We're finding a lot of old fans are coming back and they want to see the stuff. Yep. Well, this is the thing. Um, we touched on this much earlier on about the streaming world and how, how it's sort of overtaken everything else. But, yes, I think that sort of tactile mm. kind of connection that people... Not, nostalgia. Not, yeah. well, not just for nostalgia. I think, you know, certainly I can judge from from my children and, and their contemporaries and a lot of the artists that I'm working with in this day and age, some of whom are still in their late teens. You know, this studio space that I referred to, you know, I have my entire record collection and quite a lot of my art and so forth on the walls. And so when artists come there, I mean, as in musicians and, and songwriters come there, um, you know, they, they, they get quite, <laughs> uh, you know, t- taken by it all because, it, because it's the kind of stuff that instead of looking at it on their phone or listening to it on, you know, on a device, they can actually pick up something and they can read it and look at it and yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's something very rewarding about the tactile uh, thing, not just for nostalgia reasons, but but for anybody that's that's genuinely interested in music. Um, yeah, and it takes you back to that era and time as well. That we could do that. It would be nice if it all came back, though, wouldn't it? Well, look, you know, it's never going to be the, the way it was. No. Um, I think, I'm, think I'm thankful for that because there were a lot of a lot of downsides to it all. But but yeah, uh, the the thing is that we're certainly. You know, uh, so far they've, in terms of in excess, they've done reissues of a number of the big, the bigger albums. You know, obviously, Kick was was probably the main one that they needed to do the big vinyl reissue and so forth, and uh, and it did very well. Uh, and they'll probably get around to doing the rest at some stage. And and in the process of doing that, like with a lot of other uh, heritage artists, you know, you d- you discover new material that you can throw into the. I mean, the, the George Harrison one, which I've yet to push the button to buy, for all things must pass. But you know, I. I checked out the vinyl 
box set for that. It's I think it's four hundred and eighty dollars or something oh, ridiculous like that. <laughs> um, but it's eight it's eight albums and it's a book this thick and you know yeah. I mean so for for a truth thing man, of beauty. <laughs> well, there is a market there. I mean, you look what Pink Floyd's done with their collection the last couple of years and reissuing stuff. I mean, in excess put I think that volume uh, that ten album sort of. Um, uh, packed together with all their vinyl albums a couple of years ago called All the Voices. I, uh, Philip, you might know of that. No. No, but, they did, but, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but look, you know, uh, the thing is that the Heritage catalogue is, is a valuable part of what major record companies do, do these days. And, in fact, the people, you know, I've met, certainly I know the people in Australia, but but I've met a few that are um, in that, that area of, of Universal and they're all, you know, they're, they're as passionate as you and I about about the music and about the, the art. So mm-hmm. it's in good hands, you know, and I'm sure that there will continue to be really good uh, event packages and, and things that will come out. When he had a farm here and a farm there, he'd have a, a barn full of stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, and unfortunately for me, a lot of my stuff is in there because uh, when he wasn't managing the band, because there was quite a long period when he wasn't managing them, uh, I remember getting a visit one day from uh, um, the then manager or, or tour manager of the band wanting all of my in excess material because the band were planning to to put a book or, or a documentary together and could I lend oh. them my stuff? So I literally, and I said, of course, of course. So I literally, you know, handed over two boxes, you know, full of uh, photographs and, you know, samples mm. and all that sort of thing. And um, never seen it again. Never seen it again. Um, so when was that? Oh. Um, it's probably between 95 and 2008 or something, isn't it, you know? When was that, Philip? Probably in the year Chris wasn't managing them for about that 12-year period, you know. When was yeah. it, Philip? Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but, it, yeah, it would more than likely have been in the late 90s or it would have been after Michael died. I was wondering if it had been lately that you'd done that. No, no, this is ages oh. ago. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And I've, I've even forgotten the name of the guy, but he, he literally was the band's tour manager. Dave uh, Edwards or someone Dave Edwards, that's right. Yeah. Basically, it just, I mean, he literally was, you know, given the task of collecting as much material mm. and he knew that I was involved with the band. So he came and saw me and said, look, we just need to borrow all of your stuff for this. And, you know, and it was, it was for the band, of course, you know. I mean, you know, mm. I, I love those guys, you know, mm. so... I have no problems with with letting them use any of my stuff for anything. Well, let's hope it's at the farm. Yes, let's hope it's. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I have no doubt that Chris looked after it. You know, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he was he was as conscious about the the importance of all of that material as, as anyone. Which I'm not really, you know, it's not about possessing things. It's more about accessing things. You well, know? Knowing where it's gone to as well. I mean, let's yeah, be looked also, after. It's well, still for instance, yeah. For instance, I took a lot of photographs that that I would like to to include in some of the things that I'm doing. You know, mm. um, well, yeah, for no other reason to sort of show my kids what I've done. You know, yeah. um, unfortunately, during those those uh, hurried years working at Warner's. Uh, you know, we we do things, they'd be put in a box, stuck in a drawer, you know, whatever. So when I left Warner's, I was given the opportunity to take all that shit with you. Mm. Uh, so I packed up as much as I could, but there was a lot of stuff that I didn't pack up, you know, that was still tucked away in the art department or in a filing cabinet over there or whatever. And so I've lost quite a lot of things, you know, not specifically within excess, but with other artists that mm. I did. But I, I wonder what happened to those photos. Yeah. And then I'd sort of go back 
we're talking decades now, and um, and they say, oh, we we threw all that out, or you know, or whatever. With the um, period that you were very heavily involved with the band there, uh, and I can sense it in you know your voice and your words and things. Tell us a little bit your insights with the band members and things like that. Who did you sort of seem to connect with the most, or forge some good relationships with, or meaningful sort of you know um, communications with? Well, look, you know, uh, to be honest, I wouldn't say that we became close friends um, because, quite frankly, they were they were on the road so much. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and occasionally I would drop in to wherever they were and spend a couple of nights with them. And mm. I had some fantastic times with these guys, you know, but, mm. and, you know, for a while there, I had a really good rapport with Michael, um, particularly on, on creative things. We, we um, talk about, you know, I, some of the things that I've touched on today, um, Kirk and I, got on very well and still remain friends. You know, I've, I caught up with him fairly recently for a lovely lunch. You know, I still communicate a little bit with Andrew and, and, uh, and Gary in the, in the U S I've, I've had a bit of correspondence with, but you know, we're not, yeah. we haven't stayed close friends or anything like that. There was, there was a, a time there where we were, we were, we were right in each other's pockets. Yeah. Um, I have to tell you some funny moments. Um, <laughs> we love funny moments. <laughs> well, when, when in excess were, Kicking, pardon the pun, the most extraordinary goals internationally with the with the success of Kick. Uh, by this stage, uh, I had been made uh, the managing director uh, of of um, of Warner's um, Australian division in in Australia. So, I, you know, I had been um, not not through design or desire, but but you know, I'd been promoted beyond my capabilities in some ways. But you know, mm-hmm. I was now the boss. Of uh, of Inexcess's label in Australia, and frankly, that that also changed my relationship with with Chris because suddenly I was the person that he had to go to to get money. So uh, it it kind of changed the dynamic a little bit. I stopped being the creative friend and became the you know the the, the bank or the bank manager. But anyway, uh, one of the things that infuriated him was that the Australian media weren't aware of just how big Inexcess had become. Yeah. Um, through the success of Kick. So he and I devised this plan where we would take a selection of Australian media people over to see in excess in their environment. So we organised a trip. I think we got 20 Australian media people and flew them over to Los Angeles, put them up in a nice hotel and took them to see in excess performing at the LA Forum, you know, in front of 20,000 people. Yay. Uh, and we had a barbecue backstage before the before the concert, and uh, you know made them feel very welcome. Um, and uh, <laughs> this is all pre uh, mobile days and so forth. So uh, and you know I, I was sort of the the tour manager of the the media group, um, and for some peculiar reasons, some of them were staying in different hotels to the one that I was staying in. So anyway, long story short is that that we arrived late for the so-called, for the pre-show barbecue. And when I sort of walked in the backstage um, area with with the little contingency of media, Chris came up and said, where the fuck have you been? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, he, was, he was freaking out, you know, because the, the master plan hadn't quite worked. And <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we had to calm him down a little bit and, uh, and look, it's all right, we're here. And, you know, <laughs> Um, but uh, but that was kind of funny. But then I, I remember another time 
um, when I was in, in New York with the band uh, and I said, look, after the show, I forget what the venue was. Um, oh, no, it wasn't. It was a, between shows. It was a night off. Let's go out to dinner. So, uh, and Michael said, I know this amazing Indian restaurant, you know, let's go there. So I booked the restaurant. But this is for like 12 people, you know, me and the band and girlfriends and, and a couple of others. Uh, and we went to this Indian restaurant that was overlooking Central Park, um, very, very fancy, you know, with sort of uh, like, it was like being in a tent, you know, it was, and you sat on the floor and it was, you know, it was very fancy. Uh, and it was like about eight stories up in this building that overlooked Central Park. So we're all sitting there having pre-dinner cocktails and laughing and scratching, and then suddenly there's a fire in the kitchen. Oh, <laughs> um, everybody is told to you know don't don't move. You know we'll 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 we'll, we'll secure the fire. Um, but then within moments, you know there were these huge uh, firemen uh, appearing in the, in the doorway of the restaurant. You know with all their gear on, yeah, um, and saying everybody out of the building. You know? <laughs> so, so we all picked up our, you know, our glasses, our martinis. And your butter chickens. <laughs> and your butter chickens. <laughs> and, we were, and we went, well, we didn't, we hadn't got to eat yet. It was no. still, you know. Just so get the champagne. <laughs> ran, ran down the the, uh, the eight flights of, of stairs down onto the street and they were all standing down there with smoke billowing out of the, I mean, the, wow, the restaurant survived, the building didn't burn down. But it's like, oh, well, I guess we won't be, you know, the... Um, you know, there was lots of jokes about the, uh, the beef in the loo being extra hot <laughs> and, dairy, and dairy chicken being burnt and all that. <laughs> so I said, look, I know another Indian restaurant that's just near Warner's down in, in Rockefeller Plaza. So let's go there. So we all jumped in cabs and went down to there. And by this stage, it's sort of nine o'clock at night. And I walked into the restaurant and I said, I've got, look, I hope you can fit us in. I've got a party of, you know, of a dozen people and they're all just arriving now. Can you, you know, fit us in? And they said, yes, yes, all oh, please, you know, come on in. So we all went in, sat down, settled in, ordered some more drinks, started ordering food. Oh, no, we hadn't ordered food yet. We sort of ordering drinks and so forth. And the head waiter comes up to me and says, you must order the food now because kitchen is closing. <laughs> <laughs> Really? And I said, okay, fine, you know, so we better make some decisions and so forth. And then they sort of, they rushed us, you know, it's like it was Aww. like they, they they couldn't wait to get rid of us, you know. Um, maybe we're being a bit too boisterous, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, long story short is that I have refused to give them a tip, which in America is like, Ooh. you know. Um, so uh, I, you know, am le let's go, you know, I signed the, the Amex thing and I yeah. walked out the door and that, that head waiter was coming down the street like, you forgot <laughs> to put the tip. You know? No tip. It's like, but it was just, give, just give him a, a, a decadence uh, tape for free or something <laughs> like that. And say, here's a tip, get into this band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't know who we are. <laughs> Now, I know you might be a little bit tight for time. You might have some other things to go to. I thought just a couple of quick ones to tie a few things up for you. Um, um, the bit of a LinkedIn excess here. Uh, the documentary Blood and Thunder, um, the story of Alberts, which for some of our listeners know that obviously the song Good Times came from the Easy Beats and Alberts were the, the label that looked after the Easy Beats with Vander and Young. And I believe this is where you may have also worked with Mark Opitz, who was engineering some stuff for that documentary. Is that right? Uh not that I recall. Uh, you might be uh, part of the actual. You might be part of sort of the documentary itself, maybe. Well, I look. I, uh, so I was working with Alberts at the time uh, yep. that that was made, um, and Paul Clark, the producer, uh, had had originally come to Alberts with the idea 
of doing a uh, a concert at the State Theatre in Sydney, where where they would put on all of the artists that had made Alberts famous, you know, John Paul Young and the Angels, and finishing off with ACDC coming out on stage, and you wow. know, um, and we said, or Albert said, it's not going to happen, you know. I mean, we're not going to be able to get ACDC to participate, but also it's like. It's a logistical nightmare and, you know, he expected Alberts to pay for it and all that sort of stuff. So that didn't happen. Then plan B was to do a documentary about, about Alberts and, uh, and focus more on, on, uh, uh, on, you know, Ted Albert and, and, and how he sort of pulled the whole thing together. And, you know, and this was, I mean, it was like in, in Albert's case, it was, it was very difficult for them to commit to these kind of things because the family, the Albert family were very private. Mm. Uh, the young family of the, you know, Angus and Malcolm and, and George were also a very private family, um, not particularly interested in, in tell all stories or even doing interviews, you know? Mm. So very difficult to, to, to maneuver any, any such things around those, those sort of things. Mark Opitz was actually an engineer with Albert's, Yes. Before he met Cold Chisel or In Excess, mm. um, he, he worked as an engineer for George and Harry, you know, was in the studio when they did Lovers in the Air with John Paul Young, was in the studio when they produced a couple of ACDC albums and, and you know, was twiddling the knobs at the time. Mm. So has the, uh, has the, the, the great, you know, legacy of what he learnt from uh, Harry and George and working with the Alberts family at the time, you know, the Angels was pretty much his thing, even though mm-hmm. Harry George was credited as being producers. I think I think Mark was, that was probably where he really cut his teeth yes. for the first time as, as a producer. Uh, and, and, you know, by this stage, you know, Mark had become a very good friend. Uh, there was a, a group of us that, that worked at Warner's. There was myself, a, a f- fantastic guy called Roger Langford, uh, who'd previously worked at EMI with Mark and Philip Deemer. Uh, and uh, and we were sort of like this little troop of of people that that uh, that hung out a lot together socially when when you know when the whole thing happened with Cold Chisel and uh, and Mark formed a fantastic working relationship with them but also a very personal one mm-hmm. you know Mark Opitz's wife Victoria at the time was Jane Barnes's closest friend from Canberra and I mean you know yeah. everybody knew everybody my brothers first wife was was a close friend of theirs from Canberra as well. I mean, you know, there was a, a lot of two degrees of separation going yeah. on. Real community, wasn't it? You know? Nice. Yeah. And we'd have lots of gatherings together and and so the same applies to, you know, when when as I say, when Cold Jizzle uh sort of disbanded, um, it's like one door closed and then the inexcess door opened for me. Yeah. Um yeah. And uh, the transition period, as I've already described, was there were a lot of connections that happened there and that continued on. Uh, and certainly after my closer involvement with uh, The Swing and Decadence and then Listen Like Thieves, you know, then uh, things moved up into top gear for, for In Excess, you know, the the whole uh, kick phenomena, um, making the album, then going on tour for well over a year. I mean, I, I saw them in Los Angeles and in New York and in Paris and in London. Um, you know, it was just astounding. The, yeah. It was like the, the endless road. Yeah. <laughs> How those guys managed to keep going at that energy level because they, you know, they delivered every night. You I know? know. It was never I a know. bad show. They were extraordinary.
couple of mantras. I mean, Chris had one, and I think you might have one too, but Chris was like, if we're not recording, we're rehearsing, we're not rehearsing, we're touring, if we're not touring, you know, we're writing, if we're not writing, we're doing promo. Like he had those sort of mantras. And I think um, in a few publications, you had something which you could refer to as the three T's that might sum up your yeah, career. Yeah. Would you like to share those with our listeners? Sure. Thank you. Thank you for spotting that. Yes, yeah, it's no I forgot to mention that. that. The only sensible thing that I would have come up with, um, <laughs> yes, the three T's, talent, you've either got it or you recognise it, uh, tenacity, which is self-explanatory, but, you know, yeah. going going the long distance, being a marathon runner or however you want to describe it. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately, the third one is timing, which is the the most chancy of them all, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there's a lot of artists that I've worked with whose names that I could mention now who you you would never have heard of, who I consider to be as talented as any of the artists that we've been talking about today, but the timing um, didn't, didn't work for them and so they remain relatively unknown. This is the thing, you know, one shouldn't simply judge artists, uh, even though they've been successful, purely on numbers, you know, mm. like uh, chart positions, uh, gold and platinum records and album sales and streaming numbers aren't really, I mean, they, they're helpful in yes. giving you a guide to to who who's good. But to me, uh, I think, and it's all um, subjective, we all have our different opinions, but let's face it, you know, the great thing about art and music in particular is that we all have different different tastes and we all think that's better than that. Um, well, I mean, you, you're exactly right. When, when, when the art, artistry and the commercial collide in a positive way, I mean, that's such a, that's such a, you know, a, 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 a utopian scenario. But sometimes you look back something like the Beach Boys with Pet Sounds, it wasn't a commercial success. But to this day, I, I guess, artistically speaking, it's their, it's their sort of Mount Everest, I guess. Oh, look, you know, that, that's a one, one of many examples of yeah. something that was not so successful when it was initially put into the marketplace but has mm. learned the respect and uh, an adulation that it deserved in the long run. So yeah. the timing may not have been right then yeah. uh, or the expectations that people had of what the Beach Boys were all about, particularly with that album, you know. Um, the vision that that, uh, that Brian uh, had with that record was different to what people were expecting. So, therefore, yes. it didn't meet with... Uh, yeah. But of course, it's an astounding record, and uh, and the and thankfully the you know the uh, the retrospective view of it is much better than the, what it was at the time, and the same the same can be said for a lot of Australian artists that uh, that we now recognise as being you know the iconic and successful. You know they had their their patchy periods, you know, including in excess. You know, mm. um, not everything that they did was right for the times or did as well as we expected it to. You know, yeah, and, and unfortunately that was. I mean, you know, I don't want want to finish on a downer, but, you know, um, Kick was the peak, you know, they rose to the top and that was it. Um, uh, artistically, I think they they did a, a couple of things that were pretty pretty substantial beyond that, but the, that sort of chemistry of all the, the, the pieces fitting together and, and everything sort of uh, working in their favour um, uh, was never as good as as what it was at that at that point in time. Yeah, and that's also the way that the world was going with different genres coming in as well. Yeah, but the great thing is that you know a lot of a lot of what they did uh, doesn't actually have a use by date, and it's been oh, proven time, now. time yeah. again. Yeah, and it's not just a nostalgia trip because people are getting into that that band's music 
you know, individual songs, not albums per se. Which brings us back to where you started that, you know, Hayden um, picks um, a cover song every week for us. And only last week, somebody else brought out another cover song of In Excess and it's continuing all, all the time, isn't it, Hayden? How many cover songs are out there of In Excess songs? Well, lots, lots. Uh, lots and lots. And I think today you've also given us a bit of inspiration for one of the songs we're going to play uh, for <laughs> you. Well, we, we might put two on. Um, if, if there is a song that you just love, simply that you think back to your uh, day involved with the band that you'd love us to put on. Uh, well, it's pretty easy for me to, to pick a song off the swing, <laughs> the swing that, that, that still gives me goosebumps and that's Burn For You. I, I just, for some peculiar reason, just, just still find that song just... And, and it's because it was very much a part of what was going on in my life at the time. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a, it's a bloody great song. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then off Listen Like Thieves, uh, I'm very, very fond of Kiss the Dirt um, for many reasons. I mean, I don't think I got to tell you about that, but, you know, I managed to convince Chris uh, to hire Alex Proyas, who at the time <laughs> yeah. was a company called Meaningful Eye Contact. In fact, I, they were still at film school, so it was still, or maybe they just finished film school. Yeah. So it was, it was a... It was a, there was a certain risk element. Anyway, he said, "All right, we'll get them to do you know put their ideas on, down on paper." So they they went to the extent of doing this extraordinary storyboard, which I still have because the, they gave it to me as a gift. Uh, and so you can look at that storyboard that that meaningful eye contact did for Kiss the Dirt and look at shot for shot what um, what they planned the video to be, and then you look watch the video and it and you can match each each. Wow. It was so brilliantly executed. And and it involved putting the band on a twin engine plane from Sydney, went out to Broken Hill. I was with them. Um, yeah. you know, got refueled in Broken Hill, then flew to um Somewhere in South Australia. Uberpedi or something, was it, maybe? Uh, well, we didn't get there yet. It was no. <laughs> uh, Woomera. Woomera okay, the, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, landed there and then got into cars and drove for, for miles and miles to a Salt Lake and shot all yes. the Salt Lake stuff, which is yes. a white, white yeah. flat surface. Then uh, stayed there overnight. Then the next morning we then flew to Cooperpedi, which is like, you know, the asshole of the world. I mean, it, it was, Everyone lives underground, don't they, in caves? Yeah. It was like 46 degrees oh, yes. In, yeah. in the day. So we all went and, and stayed, slept in the motel during the day. And then at, at about five o'clock in the afternoon, we got into cars and went out to the location uh, out in the middle of nowhere, the red, the red dirt location and shot all of the, uh, the red dirt stuff that's in the, in the video. Uh, including the bonfire at sunset. I don't. Oh, you, wow. If you're familiar with the video, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, yeah. masterpiece. You know, yeah, cinema, cinematographer with a telephoto lens. He was like, mm. he was a half a kilometer away wow. to get that shot of the band dancing around a a uh, you know a, a bonfire. And it's such sun. a it's such a crescendo that part to the song with really? the heavy guitar. You know, fantastic. It, it, it lifts everything to that crescendo. Did it take a lot to get Tim to take his top off? <laughs> no, it didn't. B was very happy. B, B wants to thank you for that part. I was about yes, to mention thank that. Thank you. Uh, oh, look, I, I will Keep find it. All the I, girl fans out there. I was shooting uh, photos and and so, so there's a good example. Most of the photos that I did on that shoot are, are somewhere in that, you know, they're, they're in that box that I lent back to the band or to to, uh, to the manager. Um, and, and I shot Super 8 film. So I have some very shaky Super 8 footage of oh, on location stuff. I want to see that. Where so are you what? based, Philip? 
I'm in Sydney in uh, in the Can I come down life. into your studio and can I come and do a bit of filming? When when the lockdown is over, of yeah. course. I'm there. <laughs> but uh, the morning after that we arrived at the Salt Lake location, we went out to shoot a couple more shots and uh, I think they were shooting Kirk and Andrew, right? Out on the on the the Salt Lake. Yeah. So Gary, Michael and John and myself went off to the side and shot a little super eight thing where Michael and John were pretending to be kangaroos jumping around. <laughs> and, then, and then Gary driving the hire car, you know, stops and I think he, he, he drive, you know, bumps into them or something like that. And then they're both dead kangaroos. Road kill. It's, it's perfect. And, and we used that footage. Um, there's a bunch of other footage we shot on that, that trip as well that was sort of like silly stuff. Yeah. Um, and we used some of that in uh, there was a, a video collection put out for the Listen Like Thieves album in America. I don't have a copy of it. So yeah. it was like this was when you'd sell VHS and beta tapes of um, of video clips joined together. Yes. So I joined together all the video clips from Listen Like Thieves with those Super 8 bits in between. Oh, cool. Using, using the B-side music that the band would do for each of their singles. So you, I don't know whether you've noticed, but every single that they put out, there would be a B-side done by a different member of the band. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I remember Kirk did a lovely little sort of uh, ambient piece called Six Knots, which I used for for some of those little Super 8 soundtrack bits. Okay. Um, actually, I must, that's, I must put that on my list to see if it's still there. There must be a master somewhere in in the, the rhino atlantic vault because yeah we basically strung together all the videos that were shot for listen like thieves and then sold it as a uh, as a music video release awesome so yeah stuff. i can see laurie now searching for it for content for the show for, to, for next I week see, i can see i can see Pe- pedro having a conniption in portugal going, I, what? To- I, know, I need to find it It's been absolutely fascinating and awesome. I'm so with, glad with that um, blue, we got with that you on. Kiss the Dirt film clip. Do you know that Midnight Oil almost copied it for the Blue Sky Mine film clip? But it's very similar. <laughs> well, look, you know, it's 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 funny. It's contradictory to sort of be talking about uh, shooting in excess out in the Australian desert when they were trying not to be identified as an Australian band. But it, yes, for the, for the song, you know, for the concept of the song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Falling down the mountain, end up kissing dirt. You couldn't have got a better, you know, sort of uh, iconic imagery. So the the location uh, that um, Midnight Oil used um, this is this is re- really going off off subject. But they shot uh, quite a bit of that video around a, a house that is near Broken Hill. It's like it's about twenty kilometres outside of Broken Hill. And it's a, it's basically a set that was um, put out there. I forget f- for which film it might have even gone back as far as Waking Fright or something like that. Mm. But anyway, there's a house out there. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that, that, shot stuff. Yeah, 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 and then yeah. and then Chris Murphy after the Kiss the Dirt video, um, Chris Murphy's company MMA um, set up what they called MMA Films and co-funded uh, the, Alex Preuss's first feature film, which was called. Um, Gremlins of the Clouds, I think that's what it was called. Right. Um, and 
and that film was shot at that house. <laughs> wow. And, and, and we've mentioned Atlas before. I mean, he went on to make Dark City, went on to make I, Robot with Will Smith. I mean, this is a guy that probably also, Hall, you know, if we think of Scott Hicks, we think back to um, you know, Alex Broyce himself. I mean, a lot of these people went on to have massive careers overseas, you know. Absolutely. Well, you know, that, that was the great thing about music video at the time is that, you know, we, we were always searching for uh, clever, innovative filmmakers to do interesting and different things because, you know, we had an appetite for it. We had, this is long before MTV took off in America, mm. you know, here in Australia, we had Countdown and, uh, and other, other TV shows that ran music mm. videos. So for record companies, you know, it was, we, we still had to find ways to do it without spending too much money. Mm. Uh, um, but yeah, finding, I mean, that's the, the classic, you know, with meaningful eye contact, they were film students looking for a break. Well, they got a break. They, they did in excesses, kiss the dirt. And then they did crowded houses. Don't dream it. Don't dream it's over. Yeah. Uh, and that put them on the international map as, as music video makers uh, of note. And then they started getting calls from, you know, Peter Gabriel and Sting and Fleetwood yeah. Mac. And I mean, you know, yeah, Alex, that's how Alex got to Los Angeles. And that's how he got, you know, tapped on the shoulder to, to do the crow, you know, sort of like, and that's, yes. there's a whole lot of, of course. amazing yeah. careers that have gone from the doors being opened, advertising people to being, you know, major mm. filmmakers or, 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 uh, or collaborators of, of such. So yeah, it's there's a lot of those sort of stories. Thank you enough for coming on today. Your insights, your memory, your attention to detail, your passion—you know, your contribution to not only excess but the Australian music industry is uh, is telling. Shouldn't it be excess all areas? In excess <laughs> all areas. Well, wow! <laughs> it changed at the last minute. We were called um, dead. What was it? In excess, dedicated. Yeah, I thought it was a bit uh, contrived. So yeah, and he changed it. I'd, I'd, I'd done all the brand. You know what it's like. I'd done all the branding and everything, and he says literally the day before, "I'm going to change it, B." <laughs> so we are in excess access all areas. Well, the, it's, yeah, it's more yeah. encompassing. Yeah. Mm. yeah, the interesting thing about branding is that you know quite often uh, you're sitting there with with an artist or with a band, and they can't think of a name, either a name for the band or a name for the album. And, and they start to draw up lists and what about this and what about that? And, you know, arguments start to, and, you know, like with a, with a group of people, it's like three of them love this name and then three of them love that one. And so who has the deciding vote? And, you know, um, I've seen many, many artists go through these, these conniptions, you know, it's like, what are we going to call it or what are we going to call us and all that sort of thing. Um, The classic for me was, uh, that I remember most distinctly was uh, a band that we signed called uh, the called we were called Out of the Blue and we said that's a really stupid title. It's like it's just you got, you got to think of something better than that. So they made many lists and and came up with lots of ideas and they came back to us and said we've got a name. What is it? Nineteen twenty seven. 
Why? <laughs> why? Why? You know, it's like, and the the reasons the reason why it was quite compelling. They had a list as long as this of everything that happened in 1927 that made it such a significant year. So that's our name. So we said, oh, all right, okay. All right. And you won't have heard of them, but they were a big band between about 87 and 91 in Australia. Okay. They were very successful at about they were. seven top ten hits, I think. They were very, very good. Yeah, yes, but the point I, point I was going to make, whether it be 1927 or In Excess or U2 or Pearl Jam or whatever, you know, or 10CC, whatever you want to call yourself, at first you're always going to find somebody that says, what a stupid name, you know, yeah. and nobody's going to yeah. Nobody's going to remember that or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. But once you settle on the brand and once you start, you know, seeing it and using it mm-hmm. and it becomes, you know, attached to the band and to the yes. artist and sort of thing, you stop thinking about its, its, its original, you know, your original impression of it or the original yeah. intention of it. It suddenly becomes... You know that that name. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the word the Beatles, it sounds a bit silly, but now oh, it just totally. conjures up such a, you know, in, in, uh, you know, a, a myriad of successes in your well, mind. Well, you know that that was spelt wrong as well. That they was going to spell it as the Beatles, but it's actually classic now that it is Beat Tools. Did yeah. you know? Did you know that? It's a little fun I'll fact for you, Hayden. Fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, Philip Motluck, for all your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Hazen and I have been like kids again, (laughs) hearing all these for the first time. So thank you very much. And will you come back again? It's my pleasure. And of course, I'd be delighted. You have a, uh, you're really in keeping with our theme. We'd like to take listeners back in time to a time and place we weren't there. And, you know, that's what you've definitely been able to do today. Um, Take people back to an era that they're either were, uh, aware of at the time and, and enjoyed or weren't aware of at the time but can sort of um, learn um, because I think as you've consistently said, you know, the band just worked bloody hard. That tenacity, timing and um, uh, <laughs> tenacity, timing and then uh, talent, I guess, sums up them too, doesn't it, in a way? Absolutely. Probably, yeah. probably the best example of it for sure. Yeah. Hi, it's Paul from Sydney. Uh, you're on Access All Areas with Hayden and V. It's time for Pleasure and Pain. All right, Mr. Jolly, it is time for Pleasure and Pain. <laughs> and uh, we uh, stick with 1993. <laughs> and... Uh, we are going to see with 1993 because this was this little golden era, B. It was like I was, you know, a young guy and studying and mm. out learning how to drink beer. And it was like this sort of golden age of music for me it was. and everything. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. It's just before yeah, I met yeah. my husband, actually. Yeah. So I know when we get to 2017, we're going to struggle for five songs. So <laughs> we're loading up in our youth here. But mm. uh, yeah, the first song we're going to put on, B. Uh, uh, is rather controversial for you, but I mm. like this song. Even if you I don't do. like, like it, you like even this. Even if I don't like the genre, I like this song. Take it away, Snoop Dogg with "What's My Name." That's my father. What are we gonna do? Don't even trip. I'm gonna have this. I want this dog out of my house. Depths of the sea, back to the block. Snoop Doggy Dog Pokey gets the 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 dock. Went solo on that ass, but it's still the same. Long Beach is the spot where I serve my cane. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, but you bet not slip. Cause nine trees ain't the years there for me to cliss out my grip. So I ain't holding nothing back. And once again, I got five on the twenties. Oh. 
Uh, it's like that, and as a matter of fact, because I never hesitate to put a food on the stack. Yeah, so keep out the manuscript. You see that it's a doggy style hating. Is that what you like? <laughs> Wasn't the uh, the album called The Dog Father? <laughs> it's just disgusting. Hey, it's a good I, tune. I, no, I don't, like I like rap. You know, I like rap and hip hop, but like this is P funk. No, I think. no, this is P funk. It's got a big. Uh, uh. <laughs> okay, Snoop, you've got my, you got my, uh, you got me on this one. I like this song, so well done to you. Okay, we'll try the next one. We'll put on here. Ah, uh, oh, look, we'll take this away. We'll play it first, and we'll talk about who it is after. That was the Lemonheads into your arms. Uh, a lot of people know the cover of Mr. R- uh, Mrs. Robinson off the same album, Shame About Ray. This was into your arms. It was uh, beautiful mm. uh, power pop. Evan Dando, Americans, half Aussie sort of guy who would play out here and play in Cute America. Ass. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, there you yeah, go. He was. Hello, ladies. Uh, but he, yeah, Into Your Arms, beautiful song, great melody, great vocal, mm, timeless song. It's yeah. got a bit, of, a bit edg- like the birds, you know? Yeah, because we're edging quite fast into grunge now. And this was the cute side of grunge, wasn't it? It wasn't the dark side. This was this this is a pretty song and it's mm, it pretty. still stands up well. So uh, yeah, glad you agree with that one. I so, think we're gonna Okay. <laughs> I, think we, I think we're going to have a dissension on this one, but this is a pleasure for me. Take it away, Bono. the title track off the Zooropa album. Uh, loved it then, love it now. It is very YouTube arty, farty, dance, uh, industrial rock thing going. Uh, B, you just don't get this one at all, do you? But uh, I'm sorry, it, st- it stacks up in my opinion. What do you not like about it? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. I get, I get it. You probably go a bit trancy on this, don't you? And like, ooh. No, well, I mean, you know, you this, was you two, <laughs> this was, no, this was you two sort of uh, on their Arctong Baby tour having six or eight weeks off to record an EP and then it ended up being an album and uh, the song and the lyrics being all about advertising and just the ending and stuff like that and the sonics uh, mm. still stack up today. So uh, for you. All right. <laughs> all, right. all right move to the next one here yes. thank you eddie vetter we'll take yes. this one away b yes 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 yes
Sensing you like this for me, Ryan. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. You did Tell me well. about it. Well, it's great, isn't it? It's just yeah. awesome. Yeah. Escape is never the safest uh, plan, dissident, dissident. You know, I think it's the guitars in this. Is it Mike, Mike McCready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah great very guitars, good. great vocal, mm. awesome song off their versus album. Still my favorite album of this. Yeah. All right. Bit of comic value with this one. Uh, <laughs> I've never have heard this before. Have you, have you, when I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to listen to it again. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> Take it away, Dennis. Folks, I'd like to sing a song about the American dream. About me. About you. About the way our American hearts beat way down in the bottom of our chests. About that special feeling we get in the cockles of our hearts. Maybe below the cockles. Maybe in the subcockle area. Maybe in the liver, maybe in the kidneys, maybe even in the colon, we don't know. I'm just a regular Joe with a regular job. I'm your average white suburbanite slob. I like football and porno and books about war. I got an average house with a nice hardwood floor. My wife and my job, my kids in my car, my feet on my table, and a Cuban cigar. But sometimes that just ain't enough to keep a man like me interested. Oh no, no way, uh-uh. No, I've gotta go out and have fun at someone else's expense. Oh yeah. That was Dennis Leary with the song Arsehole <laughs> off the No Cure for Cancer uh, stand-up comedy session there. I think, ah. he took a, I think he took a melody from the Needle and the Damage Done of Neil Young's song and he yeah. put a, uh, a lyric over the top. But anyone who says, um, you know, uh, I walk around in summer and say, how about this heat? I'm an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love this song. It just taps into my uh, inner rage and Dennis Leary is one of the eminent stand-up comics. So, Well, I didn't know that. All you all you sent me was Dennis Leary and I was like, well, I don't, what's the bloody song, Hayden? And I had, and I looked and the first one I saw was Arsehole. Oh, it's got to be that. <laughs> and I was great. right. I was yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah, I need to listen to it um completely. I've only listened to the first part. No so problems. okay. All right. What you got next? All right, we'll take it away to another long uh lost uh, good lead singer, uh Stone Temple Pilots. Take it away, B.
All right. Well, that was a song Plush off their 1993 album. I think the album's called Core, uh, I think. Uh, but that was uh, one of their big, big songs that uh, was out at the time. Uh, a period where guitars and the chorus seemed to resonate over lyrics, uh, less lyrics, more guitar. But what do you think of Stone Temple Pilots? Got a great voice, isn't it? It's very unique. Yeah, I like, I like it. I used to get these guys mixed up. So these are Stone Temple Pilots. You got it yeah. confused with Soundgarden, didn't you? No, um, no. no. There's another one. St- st- oh, Stone Te- uh, Stone Temple Tudors or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was a it was it was an 18th century <laughs> royal band, the Tudors. Yeah, right. They yeah, were playing German rock. <laughs> yeah, right. It's Henry. Yeah. Uh, you thinking the Rolling Stones or whatever, or Temple or Temple of the Dog? Are you thinking? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, we had them on the other week, but uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I know in our uh, blurb there, I did mention beware of the stinkeroo. Uh, yeah. I'm going to declare beware of this stinkeroo now. <laughs> you seem to like my stinkeroos, which uh, sounds a bit uh, obscene. Yeah, I think. <laughs> It's funny. I think it's funny. Well, we're going to play it and we're going to come back and comment on it. It's the lyric. What's up, man? Hey, yo, what's going on, yo? Sick and tired of 501 and up on the block. You know what I'm saying? Yo, so they came around looking for you the other day. Word, word, bust it. Informant. You know, say that I'm a stormy of a blam. Ali, keep on bum down. Take the man that says, say that I'm a stormy stab. Somebody out of land. Ali, keep on bum down. Informant. Now, B, you were questioning the lyric in this song. Is that right? Are you going to share with listeners what you thought the lyric was? <laughs> Have I got it wrong? I don't know. Oh, Maybe I uh, Matt, look, our American listeners out there might know, but uh, that was uh, Informer by Snow. Yes. Now, this was a nerdy sort of white rapper, pre-Eminem, who had glasses and some questionable fashion choices, and uh, you think he happens to say something rather rude in the lyric. Is that right? Yeah, lick my bum bum. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he say that? That's what I sing when I sing it. Look, this was a song <laughs> I was trying to. Now. This was a song I was trying to get away from in '93, but I think it was inescapable. Um, yeah, it was. So uh, definitely painful, not pleasurable. So I want to move to the next one, okay? <laughs> okay. Oh yes. And yes. we're going British here for you. Take it away, yeah. the boys in James. Take Great it away. Name. What a great start of a song with the guitars and the Brilliant. anthem being laid. Oh, he's so good. I love James. Yeah. Love James. This was a real good one to get on the dance floor too. But it was, I, I never get it. Was he a breakup? Was he on a breakup and he was having a go at his girlfriend or? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, uh, the, remember all the lyrics in it? You only like me when you're on top. <laughs> you know, like it was, it was just no, really. No, he didn't prepared. say that, Hayden. Oh, it was similar. No, oh, okay. you, you're only loud, or you only come when you're on top. Actually, I, well, I was giving the it. edited version, potty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, this this was a song record uh, produced by Brian Eno, 
Uh, the same ah. year, he, the same year he produced one of Inexcess's songs off Full, Full Moon Dirty Heart. So uh, James recorded two albums that year, and this was the probably eminent hit off that. Uh, but good choice, you think? I love it. Yeah, I yeah. love James. Like I said, and like Still I said, good, 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 good name. <laughs> All right, next one here, B. I want you when we play this to play the start of this song because it's uh, it's really good. It's just the guitars are great. Uh, the song's called Pets by a band called Porno for Pyros. Uh, lead singer was the former lead singer of Jane's Addiction. Take it away. never heard of these guys either and I was like what is he because it's really hard to hear at the beginning I thought yeah it's got this great guitar that sort of bump bump you know and mm. uh it really is a good song um Perry Farrell the singer uh he's got a great voice he was quite responsible for a lot of the La Palooza tours in America also those who don't know James Addiction wrote the song that ended up being the soundtrack song of the TV show Entourage we hope you enjoyed that we are moving into an area where uh, a band that played at Wembley supporting In Excess uh, mm. about two years after that uh, concert uh, released this song which I thought was really undervalued at the time um, it's Jesus Jones take it away B. before we do no I just want to get the history right on this song so this song was released Two years after they'd been playing with... Um, yes. You're right, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm holding that and I'll talk yeah. to you when afterwards. Okay. So that was a song called The Devil You Know. Really interesting sonics at the start there. and Which sounds 
like questions. Well, you know, it's funny, B. You, I was about to say it has a bit of a similar start to questions off welcome to where you are. And no, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's great exactly the bloody same to me. 69 episodes in, you know, you, we're oh, on you're this. You're teaching uh, me well, Hayden. I know. We, we, we're bouncing off each other, but you're right. I When I was thinking of the song there and hearing it back, I'm thinking, gee, it has a bit of a similar question thing. But it's, but exactly it's, a, it's a bit more electronic than questions. Yeah, but, but the thing is, they've been, they must. So when did Welcome come out? 92. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so, so they, they came out of you before, stole but it. yeah, well, maybe influenced by. It. But look, this song was the lead song off an album called Perverse, uh, mm. and you know, if you a lot of people know Jesus Jones from International Bright Young Thing and Right Here Right yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. Um, that we've played before. But uh, do yourself a favour if you like this one; it's a really good one. Yeah, no, it's right. Re- it's really good. His voice is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, now, B, we uh, before we recorded today, we were sort of uh, air air microphoning this particular <laughs> song. Is that right? So we. Going to put a bit of a chunk of this one on mm-hmm. uh, because we think it, it it has this sweetness to it, but then it goes real sort of uh, gangster on us. So yeah. The you video's put the parts good in where well. it the put, a bit scary. Actually. Put the parts in where it's sweet and saccharine, and, and then where it goes gangster and it goes really like uh, high inflection. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is a band called Ween with Push of the Little Daisies. Sometimes I know. I'll let you have the new ball on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great song. I really like it because it's so, it, it's got like a pixie feel to it because you don't know where it's going to go next. But it's got a really nice, like, hummy, hummy melody, hasn't it? I really like it. And I hadn't heard it for years. And when you said it, I was like, we, yeah, I used to listen to them. I'm sure. It sounds like kids ten, eleven years old, <laughs> and then it goes all, all, all weird, and the voice changes. And I mean, if you were in a, if you were if you were a kid in a dark room that was being played over and over again, you'd have nightmares, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. All right, uh, and lucky last. You know, momentary band that had their sort of moment in the sun, and unfortunately, the lead singer, you know, passed away not long after. They really sort of broke through, and uh, this is a band called Blind Melon uh, with a song called No Rain. So take it away, B.
but you can go first on this one. I had never heard of these guys before, and I don't know, must have been in a rock. Do you know the song? I, I, yes, I do. I do. Yeah. But I didn't catch on to who they were. Right. But, yeah, okay. I remember the song being played. Yeah. But it's great. I love it. His voice is brilliant. What did you say? Shannon Hoon? I didn't mention the lead singer's name. Uh, I do know I had a mate of mine from Canada who loved these guys and played me their album. Mm. And, and uh, I really got into it. And, and yeah, unfortunately, I think in the mid-90s, the lead singer might have had a heroin overdose or whatever oh, there and oh, passed. But uh, this this song still probably gets airplay around the world and uh, mm. in films and soundtracks and things like that. So uh, 1993, No Rain, great song. Well, you redeemed yourself right at the very end there, <laughs> didn't you? Because Snoop mm, used the rope up. Dennis Leary, I don't know about that. And then that's that licking your bum bum one. And then that Pomino one, I'm not sure about either. Listen, I heard heard a rumor you're going to be putting out Urban Cookie Collective next week. Got the key, is that right? Yeah, I got the key. (laughs) Or it might be, I'm a Barbie girl. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Imagine them and Ween in a double act, huh? (laughs) Great. Um, Anyway, thank you. But that's pleasure and pain for another edition. This is Sheila from Birmingham, Alabama. Hey, this is Susan from Cincinnati, Ohio. Hi, this is Maite from Montreal, Canada. This is Suzanne from Los Angeles, California. And that's a wrap. All right, well, that's a wrap, B. Uh, part two of Philip, as we hoped uh, and as we enjoyed. Hopefully our listeners do too. Uh, what did you get out of that for yourself? Well, starting off there with Decadence, it was nice to go and get an hour of little cassettes out. I didn't know you had one too, so that was quite nice. Yeah, I think I had the most common one. I think uh, a friend of the podcast, MM, had all six. Uh, they were collector's items with each band member, so uh, oh. they are pretty iconic and rare. Yeah, they're great. Uh, they're great. Before we got him on, I actually wasn't aware that he was involved in the design work uh, releases. So it was really good that he raised that because um, that had slipped my research. So it was great to hear. Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. Um, and, and the curry house going on fire. That was funny. I love those stories. Those are the stories that I want to hear more of. I must admit, when we get speaking to the band, I want to, those are the stories I, I like to you know, find out about. You don't hear about those in the magazines, Well, you wouldn't expect you? a fire in the curry house. You might expect something else to be on fire yeah. after in a curry. Yeah, that's the morning after, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, yeah, look, it's great. And, again, we thank Philip for being on. And um, I, I guess, you know, what I sensed up chatting to him, there was just so much more we could have spoke to. So we do hope that mm. maybe he can uh, come on again in a future period. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, I'm really looking forward to when lockdown's out that we can go down to his studio because he's got so much stuff down there to show great. us. It'd be great. All right. Uh, fan engagement, B, it's been quite a prolific week, you know, in terms of all our platforms and people interacting and things. Obviously, you know, part of what we said earlier about Philip and the episode and things. But anyone else you'd like to acknowledge through their contributions this week? Um, I just want to acknowledge my whole team or our whole team. I'm going to coin them all shining stars. Yep. <laughs> um, they are. They're absolutely magical. And we've, every week I have a little panic on something and Laurie's there. Leave it with me. What do you need, um, boss? You know, she's on it. And then you've got little Danielle and Foxy and they just get that newsletter out. And it's just brilliant. And Paul Jolie is always like, you know, very supportive and carry on. So I just want to give a big shout out to our shining stars. 
And then the other thing I want to talk about is that I've also been speaking to a lot of not so much patrons, they're just really good supportive fans of ours that they help us in other ways. And um, there's a lot of them that aren't well at the moment. And I just want to give them a big hug, a big virtual hug. And just to say, we're thinking of you. There's some very special people out there and they're, they're having it quite tough. So I just want to say that more than anything. Here, here. All right. Uh, I'm looking through our patron page a little bit as I scroll down here, et cetera, there. And the ever-present Carmen, who will always be known as the first ever patron. Is that right? She was. Definitely mixing, mingling around. I think I've been posting a little bit this week, so yay to me. I think I put on the U2 memorial uh, for September 11, and we didn't quite mention that last week. We will sort of talk about that Mm. at the end of the episode in a moment. But, uh, um, look, you know, I guess, you know, what's seemingly happening is that a lot of the patrons are involved in themselves. I know since Suzanne Lynn became on board, we're hearing a lot from her, which is great. Matey up in uh, Montreal, you know, a lot of the gang who have re- recently come on board, Glenn Davies has come in like a rocket yeah. uh, and uh, participating. And look, as I said again, you know, we don't mind if you're sort of not socially media conscious or whatever there, but if you love talking about your band or sharing any sort of videos or sharing any discussions, um, there's some great stuff on there that uh, a lot of people are a part of. So if you want to consume what you see others put on, fantastic. If you want mm-hmm. to share some things, fantastic. I know in terms of some of the merch, we spoke a little bit about the little knickknacks have arrived, and I think we'll probably have those priced up and promoted yeah. next week. But um, well, they should be the- they should be ready now. So you just go onto the website and go bye bye bye. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking, you know, for five dollars, yeah, you can get a bumper sticker, and that's helping us so much just by buying a bumper sticker. So please help us and yeah. um, get the message out what we want to do. Absolutely. So check out the uh, merch page with some things on there you love. You know, uh, we've got some cool things on there which we think look pretty good and uh, take advantage. Um, uh, now, do we have any auctions going now, B? I know we just finished one. Uh, any yeah. feedback? I'm going to have a little rest. <laughs> okay. Um, my priority is to get us into the awards. We've got to get this on. Yep. There is going to be a People's Award. So next week when we launch it, we'll let you know if you want to vote for us. <laughs> Sounds like it's got to be a lot of voting. Something like 10,000. But it'd be nice if we got a few, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we might have to go out to the Nickelback website. Uh, and leverage some fans given my such support of that band's initiatives and contributions to the music industry <laughs> all right um all right can we ne- can we mention something pretty exciting we've held off held off held off can we announce this it's a two-parter b it's a two-parter of a three-parter uh, can, I, can i go with it go go The first part of the conversation is we have a three-hour interview with Kirk in the can. Hang on, okay. hang on, hang on. How did it happen? Well, let's forget how it did. They don't care about how it happened. All I do. Right? Doesn't he matter. He asked to come on doesn't, our doesn't, show. Don't worry I about all that's that. Don't good. worry about all the hoopla oh. of that. The family, they don't care about that. Yes, they all they do. want to know is the Kirkmeister, the Media Wars extravaganza himself, <laughs> has come onto the podcast 
And boy, was I a wuss in that interview uh, when it came to the media wars topic, didn't I? Lay down low and Indeed, you know, actually, yeah. didn't I basically go into my shell? Um, um, actually, no, I did fess up to the uh, <laughs> the arrangement. And he did find it an endearment term, so he was a good sport. Um, so we will announce that we have got uh, enough material for basically our next three weeks. So we're going to be having a triple Kirk. Uh, extravaganza. So episode 70, 71 and 72, we've got so much stuff to go through. Uh, or sorry, we went through so much uh, things with him that uh, we're really not going to edit anything. We're really going to just put it all in over the three episodes. And we had some great questions from you guys, the patrons. Yeah, great questions, great everyone. Thank you. Written ones, audio ones. Kirk mm. loved them. Mm. Um, we won't say much more about it, but uh, you will find over the next three weeks, we will be um, uh, in our topic section dedicating uh, the, 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 the forum to Kirk. Yeah. And uh, a true gentleman, you know, uh, organised, ready to go. I mean, you know, I think his lunch went cold, you know, three times and he kept, he, he kept at it with us and then Lane popped in to say hello. Uh, yeah. And he was, a, he was a joy to talk to and, um, you know, often they say when you meet your heroes, you can either be disappointed. Well, we, no. were walking, we were walking around with a bit of adrenaline and we were quite pumped up, weren't we, Yeah, B? no, he was just fantastic you're in for a treat over the next three weeks you really yeah. are and kirk hi because you said that you're listening now so that's pretty cool <laughs> yes and that how cool is that that we've got the band mem- well a couple of the band members now listening so if you're on a zoom call your your voice is getting heard by the va- band now it's quite nice correct and within that epi- one of those episodes there which is the two-parter one of the initiatives we've talked a bit about for next year and uh, a little bit of a campaign that i've alluded to and hinted to we actually sort of announce it uh, with uh, a chat with Kirk and I think he's really behind that push uh, all we will say it highlights an album and highlights Michael and uh, I'll, uh, I'll we'll wait for that episode to come to fruition but let's just yeah, say don't Kirk's say really anything Hayden just Kirk's behind it. it anyway which is yeah good. he's behind a few things he's a yeah. good man yeah all right well um, as we exit today uh, B I, I did want to sort of pay particular attention uh, to America and September 11, given that over the last sort of seven days, it's 20th anniversary of that beautiful city uh, having, you know, probably the worst thing that could probably happen to it, you know, in terms of what occurred on that day. Um, we don't have to explain why and what and, and everything My happened. husband was in that building um, a year to the day that it went, unfortunately. Wow. So, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, as I said, when we uh, sort of record and put our sort of podcasts sort of out, et cetera, there, uh, from a recording point of view, um, you know, we we posted episode 68 with Philip. Uh, mm. I think literally on probably sort of September 11, it might have gone out. But uh, we did want to sort of pay attention to it because um, there was probably one of the great songwriters and great musicians and great artists and great band members who made New York his home. And uh, he too sort of met, you know, a, a bad Sometimes. ending, as we do know, uh, through circumstance uh, that happened to him, you know, the Dakota building. And that's John Lennon, obviously. And yeah. he, uh, I guess, loved New York. And I think New York's always been a beacon for those overseas who look at the Statue of Liberty and look at the the New York attitude and the resilience and things like that. And he, I mean, John Lennon loved living there. He loved the anonymity, but he also loved, you know, the, you know, the respect amongst the fans that he had. But um uh, when I think of New York and musicians and things like that, you know, I didn't want to put something cheesy on like New York, New York, or, you know, I made it there or anything. I wanted to put something on that probably typifies peace and love and understanding. And that was uh, two John Lennon songs. Um, 
that were basically on his last ever album, really, that uh, was on Double Fantasy. So um, these two songs are fantastic songs. They probably represent just where he was at and how comfortable he was in life and what his priorities were. Uh, the first one is a song called Beautiful Boy, uh, written about his son. Um, it is also being used in a movie called Mr. Holland's Opus, which is like tear in the eye stuff when you see that being uh, uh, portrayed in the movie. And the second one was a favourite one of mine off the album when I was a kid, and that is watching the wheels go round and round um, about living in New York and getting off the roller coaster of being in the Beatles and just loving New York and being a father and, and being content with his life. And, um, yeah, so I did want to go out with those two non-in-excess songs, but, you know, represent New York and September 11 and just, you know, I've been watching a lot of documentaries the last week about it all and it, it still haunts and... Um, I was fortunate in 2005 to go to Ground Zero and have a look at it all and pay respects. And mm. um, yeah, I know it's a solemn day for Americans. So, uh, you know, lest we forget and um, we say goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everyone. Close your eyes. Have no fear. The monster's gone. He's on the run and your daddy's here Beautiful, 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 beautiful boy Beautiful, 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 beautiful boy Before you go to sleep Say a little prayer Every day In every way It's getting better and better Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Beautiful boy Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Beautiful boy on the ocean sailing away I can hardly wait to see you come of age but I guess we'll both just have to be patient cause it's a long way to go a hard road to hold Yes, it's a long way to go But in the meantime Before you cross the street Take my hand Life is what happens to you While you're busy making other plans Beautiful, 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 beautiful boy Beautiful, 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 beautiful boy Out on the ocean Drifting away I can hardly wait To see you come of age 
But I guess we'll both just have to be patient Cause it's a long way to go A hard road to hold Yes, it's a long way to go But in the meantime Before you go to sleep Say a little prayer Every day In every way It's getting better and better Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Beautiful boy Darling, darling, darling Darling Say I'm crazy Doing what I'm doing They give me all kinds of warning Save me from ruin When I say that I'm okay Well they look at me kind of strange But surely you're not happy Say I'm lazy Dreaming my life away Well, they give me all kinds of advice Designed to enlighten me Tell them that I'm doing fine Watching the shadows on the wall don't you miss the big time boy you no longer on the ball I'm just sitting here making the wheels go round and round And rock the bunch and roll No longer riding on the merry-go-round I just have to let it go Asking questions Lost in confusion Well, tell them there's no problem Only solution Well, they shake their heads and they look at me As if I've lost my mind I tell them there's no hurry Sitting here doing time I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round I really love to watch them roll
just have to have it go.